Hi, my name is Queen Zoya Counts, and I would like to welcome you to my podcast, Miss Z's Storytelling. This podcast is about me reading short stories and fiction stories as well as non-fiction stories for all my listeners to enjoy. Thank you for listening to Miss Z's Storytelling. This is Queen Zoya Counts, and I would like to welcome you to my podcast, Miss Z's Storytelling. We are still reading from the book Heat, written by Geneva Holiday, author of Fever and Groove. We are about to finish up the month of May, of April. Sorry, and then we're going to be going into the month of May. So. Let's start off with Geneva so we can come out of this April month and see what they're going to be doing in May. So, Geneva. Monday morning, I decided to take three pills. I'd really gone overboard yesterday. The chips, hot dogs, and a Pepsi Cola at the theater, and then Chevy and I went to this diner called Oswell's on Amsterdam Avenue and had cheeseburgers, vanilla shakes, and apple pie. And then I came home and had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which I washed down with a tall glass of milk. So I'd slip a little. We all do every now and again. And that's why I have these little yellow pills to help me out when I do. As soon as I took them, I started feeling better. Those pills were like an energy shot to my system. Sometimes, though, and I only admit this to you, I do get a little lightheaded. But that's about it. Charlie came out of her room dressed in a pink and blue dress that was wrinkled as I don't know what. What happened to your dress, Charlie? I asked as I stared and moved towards her. It was nearly 8 o'clock and I needed to drop Charlie off at school and make it to work by 8.30. I don't know, Charlie responded as she stood transfixed in front of the television. The good feeling was leaving me. Come here, I barked, suddenly angry at the world. Charlie didn't flinch. I charged toward her, swooping her up and carrying her into my bedroom. She began to wail. Shut your mouth before I shut it for you, I bellowed, shaking the open palm of my hand in front of her face. Charlie's mouth snapped shut, but her eyes continued to spill out salty tears. The ironing board was a solid fixture in my bedroom. I never took it down. I just left it standing against the wall in between the dresser and the television stand. I hurriedly pushed the plug of the iron into the outlet. Once it began to sizzle, I snatched at Charlie's arm. Her eyes was filled with fear as she reached for the hem of her dress, intending to pull it off. I slapped her hands away. We don't have time for that. I got to work late, of course, a full 30 minutes late. Thank God my boss wasn't there, but Darlene was, and she glared at me when I rushed through the door. Don't say a word, I said, holding my hand up and moving swiftly past her. I served at least ten customers by the time the call came in. Geneva, it's for you, Arthur the fire cook said as he held the phone out towards me. This is Geneva. Geneva, this is Eric. I rolled my eyes at the sound of my ex-husband's voice. Yeah, I just got a call from Charlie's school. My heart began to race. 
What happened to my baby? Why did they call Eric instead of me? What's wrong? I screamed. Calm down. The teacher said that Charlie just started crying, then asked them to call me. Crying? Is she sick? Hurt? No, Geneva. She's fine. Just a little shook up. Shook up? Eric's voice dropped to a whisper. Yeah, I went to get her and she told me that you yelled at her and then you ironed her dress. I looked at the phone. Eric's voice faded in and out. Suddenly my head seemed to be filled with cotton. What? Eric, what did you say? I said, Geneva, Eric began again in a tight voice, that Charlie told me you took a hot iron to her dress while she was still in it. Chevy, all of that torture for a horrible meal and a measly $50. It was Monday afternoon and I was still stewing over that fiasco disguised as a play I'd attended at the Lincoln. Geneva and the other patrons had enjoyed it to no end, and of course they had. They were as sophisticated as Doug Bones. Doug Bugs. Entire world revolved around shit. I probably could have gotten more money out of Geneva if we left them the side exit and not back out through the front, because there, set right out front, was that street-lit Arthur, Persistent Pablo. Persistent Pablo, from what I heard, has spent eight years in the Kansas City penal system. He'd acquired his GED and his self-published his first set book while serving the last six months of his sentence. He found his readers in the hair and nail salons, the welfare offices, and laundromats. When his two-year probation came to an end, his father loaned him in his Nova and persistent Pablo, along with his boxes of hardcore street lit, set out for New York City, where he'd promptly sold over 300 books from the trunk of his car. Some New York publisher had zoned in on him by the time he'd self-published his fourth novel, A Nigga Dies in Brooklyn. That book brought him instant fame, and now persistent Pablo could be found in bookstores nationwide. He didn't do book signings well, not formal book signings instead of bookstores. He preferred to hold court on city sidewalks, and one was sure to find him and his bright red Escalade, the hood spray-painted with his likeness, along with his sales crew, and hundreds of copies of the 20 or so titles he published outside any event where there would be a large attendance of black folk. Oh, persistent Pablo! Geneva had shrieked her hands, digging into her pocketbook as she closed with the crowd toward him. I read Pussy Galore and Cock's Pit. She gushed once she was in front of Pablo. I love them. Tall and reed and thin, Pablo looked as if he'd fallen out of the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down. Thanks for the love, my shorty, he said, grinning triumphantly. Someone please save me. Geneva walked away with three of his $10 books. As we made our way to the diner, I said, Geneva, how can you read that garbage? Geneva didn't even answer me. She was so engulfed with the words, and she was hungry with enthusiasm as she devoured those three francs at the Lincoln. A soft knock came at the door, pulling me from my musings. Come in. In walked Latangie. Tangie.
How y'all doing, Chevy? She said as she swayed over to the chair and sat down before I could object. You all had a good weekend, she continued, when all I did was glare at her. How can I help you? My tone was firm and professional. She was unfazed by my rudeness. Well, Anja wanted me to stop in to make sure that you received the invitations for the Holloway party on Wednesday. Yes, I have received the invitations, which were really more like four gold tickets to the hottest social party in Brooklyn, taking place in the halls of the Brooklyn Museum, and at $25,000 ahead, the Holloway party was the benefit event of the season if you were a Brooklyn Knight. This year, the funds would go to the renovation of a 10-story apartment building that had been abandoned by its owner some 20 years ago. The city had taken it over, and the Ain't I a Woman Foundation had purchased it for a song. The foundation intended to turn it into a shelter for single mothers and children, all of whom had been diagnosed with the AIDS virus. Why? I asked. Well. Tangie began twirling her red hair around her index finger and cocking her head childishly to one side. Anja wants me to collect them and bring them to her. Why didn't Anja just call and ask me to bring them to her? My eyes held Tangie's as I picked up the phone and pressed the speed dial that would connect me to Anja. The call immediately went into voicemail, but I pretended that she answered, Anja, Chevy here. What? Yes, she's sitting right here. I thought it best that I deliver the invitations to you directly because we need to discuss a few things if that's okay with you. Yes, okay, see you in five. I hung up the phone, but Tangie's eyes stretched to the saucers. I'll bring them to her, I said with a smug smile. You can go back to whatever it is you do. But Tangie's face remained sweet as she rose from the chair. Okay then, Chevy, you all have a nice day she said as she turned and exited my office. I wasn't sure, but I believe I heard the word bitch float to me on the back draft of the closing door. Geneva. I was on the bus home soon after I hung up the phone. To tell you the truth, I couldn't remember much of what had happened that morning. I do remember ironing Charlie's dress, but I sure don't remember her being in it. The morning was a blur, and that wasn't unusual. Most of my mornings were a blur. I was always running late, always in a rush. Eric had taken Charlie to the movies, and he would meet me back at my place. I wasn't looking forward to that. I knew he was angry, even though he tried hard to keep his voice low, his words civil. The bus swerved, dismissing a piece of delivery man on a bicycle, but sending me careening into the lap of a passenger. The man, a white male, was red with embarrassment. I'd crush his New York Times and his Dunkin' Donut. Sorry, I murmured as I pulled myself back to my feet. I could hear snickering from some of the other passengers. I dropped my eyes in shame and got off at the next stop, which left me ten blocks from home. Where the fuck? Eric started, but then stopped. Charlie stood beside him, clutching his hand. Where have you been? What? I left work as soon as you called me, I said, not ready to meet my daughter's accusing eyes. Geneva, Eric began his tone impatient. That was two hours ago. I blinked. Two hours? I looked at my watch. It was one o'clock. I didn't have an answer to Eric's question, so I just looked down at Charlie and said, You feeling better, baby? 
Charlie nodded her head, but her eyes were wounded. I sighed, my heart breaking into a million pieces. Mommy's sorry for yelling at you this morning. You know, sometimes mommy gets dressed. Charlie said, yes, sometimes mommy gets stressed. I reached out to her, planting my head on her head. Do you forgive me? Charlie nodded again, releasing her father's hand. She took tiny steps until she was at my side. I looked up at Eric. His eyes were fuming. You know, if she told a teacher what you'd done, the school would have called Child Protective Services on you, he said through clenched teeth. She's making it up, I said. She had to be. Why would I do something like that to my child? You know she has a wild imagination. She probably just didn't want to be in school today. Eric's face registered doubt, and who or what, I wasn't sure, but nevertheless his eyes softened. Hey, sweetie, he said, easing down to one knee and coming eye level with Charlie. I'll see you next week, okay? Eric tweaked Charlie's nose and then hugged him. Okay, Eric, Charlie said. Charlie had never wanted to call him daddy. Once we were in the apartment, I tried to remember what had happened between the time I left the diner and my arrival at the apartment. I remember falling on the man and then getting off the bus and walking home. It couldn't have taken me that long to cover ten blocks, or maybe it had. Oh, well, I had so much on my mind, maybe I just kind of dazed out and my body was on autopilot. And this thing with Charlie. She had to have been lying. Charlie told lies all the time even the dangerous types that would get a parent placed behind bars. I'd have to talk to her about that. Not today, though, but soon. So that is the end of April. Next time you listen to my podcast, we're going to go into May. Now, this has got me thinking and wondering, hmm, is she doing something to her daughter is she a bad parent that's all I can think about after finishing this up and I'm quite sure you all are wondering the same thing so we're gonna get into May the next time you listen to my podcast and I would like to thank you for listening to my podcast Miss Z's Storytelling Peace